the first song that we sang, the crown him with many crowns, uh, I hadn't even thought about this in advance, but it stood out to me in the third verse. It says, from pole to pole that wars may cease, and all prayer and praise. Right now we know all wars have not ceased from pole to pole, but we can trust that according to his word, that day will come. It may come in our lifetime, it may not, but we can thank him for that. Our text tonight, First Chronicles 28, is all about the commencing of the building of the temple in Jerusalem. The original temples, often referred to as Solomon's Temple. The title of my message tonight is God's Temple Then and Now. Much, if not most, of the world is presently gripped by the trauma and drama of the barbaric Hamas attack against Israel. The acts of violence have been horrific, and we may ask, justifiably, is this the beginning of the end? The correct answer to that question is simply, only God knows. We know from Scripture that the end of this sin-infected earth is coming. And we know that it is nearer today than it was yesterday. And we know that it will come to a head with the bitter, brutal enemies of Israel amassed together in a combined force that will appear unstoppable in its goal of wiping Israel and all Jews from the face of the earth once and for all. This latest assault began 50 years and a day after the start of a very similar attack against Israel by Egypt and Syria which commenced the brief but intense Yom Kippur War in 1973. Though initially rocked hard back on its heels then, Israel, with prompt and powerful support from the United States of America, recovered and was victorious over its aggressors. Essentially, this has been Israel's repeated experience for thousands of years, widely oppressed and under constant threat of annihilation. But it was not always so. When Solomon succeeded his father David on the throne, unified Israel was the greatest ruling power on earth. It enjoyed unthreatened peace and tranquility on all sides. Were it not for the sins of God's people, it would have continued to be so. I say that based not on my personal opinion, but rather upon the record of scripture given us by God himself in 1 Chronicles 28. I'm reading verses 6 through 9 here from what Calvin just read. And this is David speaking of God. And he, God, said unto me, David, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep 
and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. The purpose of my message tonight is not primarily to give a history lesson. I'd be a poor choice for that, very frankly. But rather, my focus is the personal lessons that God has for us today, revealed by the history given to us in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and elsewhere. My first point is called God's place for the temple. And you will see in each one of the three points that I'll be touching on, I'm going to start with then, which is what we just read talking about that original temple in Jerusalem. And then I will talk about now, God's temple today. Then, 1 Chronicles 28.1 says, And David assembled all unto Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the epicenter of the nation-state Israel. Solomon began building the original temple in Jerusalem approximately in 960 B.C. It took years to complete. It was the focal point of Jerusalem, the heart of the heart of God's people, the Jews. As fabulously magnificent as this temple was, it was essentially a shell for the sanctuary, the inner holy of holies which in turn was a shell for the Ark of the Covenant, God's dwelling place among Israel since the years of desert wandering after he had led them out of captivity in Egypt. Now, our human bodies, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, are the temples in which God dwells in the form of the Holy Spirit. Each believer is God's personal holy of holies. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 explains it in this way. Paul writes, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This paradigm shift of the Holy of Holies coming into and residing permanently inside individual believers versus the centuries-old reality of believers coming to the Holy of Holies to worship shattered the embedded understanding of all devout Jews who sought purification through adherence to the law that had been given directly to Moses from God and then handed down from generation to generation ever since. Acts 7, 44 and also 47 to 50 say, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, 
that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? In Genesis, we learn that the crowning work of God's creation was the making of man in his own image. What more perfect place to put his temple, his dwelling place on earth, than inside of every person who has been born again into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham is the father of righteousness by faith and not by works, not by the law, so he is, interestingly, also the one who points us to the tabernacle of God dwelling in man rather than in a structure built by man for God. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10 tell us, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It's my strong belief that Abraham could not, in these words describing him, and his faith here could not have been sensing uh, that the temple in Jerusalem, in any of its iterations, was the lasting temple. For that clearly was built and made by man. Yes, under God's direction through his Holy Spirit, but still built and made by man's hands. But what is the temple which has foundations in Christ, I suggest, and that is built and made by God himself. Stay tuned. We'll talk a little more about that shortly. So that is a little bit about the place of the temple then and now. Let's take a look also at God's pattern for the temple. Then. God very specifically prescribed the size, the design, the materials, type, weight, etc. for the temple and everything associated with it. He left nothing to chance. God had communicated the pattern of the law face to face to Moses. He communicated the pattern of the temple by his spirit communing with the heart of King David. 1 Chronicles 28, 11 to 13, and verse 19 say, Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch, and of the houses thereof, and of the treasuries thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and of the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, and of all the chambers round about of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things, 
also for the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. Now, but God's ultimate plan was global and feasible for every person who would choose to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. His plan was to make each believer a temple for his Holy Spirit. God did not communicate the pattern to someone else to build. That would have been impossible because his plan was to build millions of temples, each too elaborate, too intricate, too marvelous to be built by anyone but himself. Psalm 139, verse 6 and verses 13 to 16 tell us that. The psalmist here writes, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. That fabulous temple, and I'm looking at, I don't know, 20, 30 of them right now as I look out. Each one absolutely unique. Not one other like any one of you anywhere else among the billions of people that are on this earth right now and the billions of people that have lived and died. Not one identical to you. Only God could do that, and it is God who has done that. We've talked a little bit about the place of the temple, then and now. We've talked a bit about the pattern for the temple, then and now. Let's take a look at God's priest for the temple. Then. The temple of old was served by a ruling high priest who had other priests serving beside him and platoons of Levites serving under them. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that just once per year after performing an intense personal cleansing and preparation ritual. All of the priests and Levites were thoroughly schooled in how to properly maintain a holy temple by reading, studying, and memorizing God's word. First Chronicles, again, are from our reading today, 28, verse 21. And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. So God provided that high priest to make sure back in that original temple 
that things were run as they should be run, that it was kept holy, and that it was done properly. Now, just as the temple in Jerusalem had a high priest responsible for maintaining the required purity and holiness appropriate to house God, so the temple of our body has been given a high priest, Jesus Christ. Again, in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16, we are told, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Each believer today is given the task to learn how to maintain the holiness of God's temple by reading, studying, and memorizing God's word. Marvelously, the Holy Spirit in us reveals the truth of the word to us and empowers us to live it out. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So we see that God that God's ordained dwelling place for his physical presence on earth in Old Testament times. That magnificent temple. Uh, just an unbelievably wondrous structure declaring the glory of the great God of Israel. But the Old Testament it was there in preparation for the coming of Jesus to earth. I'm always, uh, when I think about the transition from Old Testament to New Testament of Jesus coming on the earth and remind myself that it was, of course, only the Old Testament scriptures that existed. So the early church, yes, it was founded on the acts of Jesus, but Jesus said, I came not to replace the Old Testament, I came to fulfill it. And so in looking at that Old Testament picture of the original temple, God didn't just have it there so that we could say, wow, wouldn't it have been cool to see that building? Or just as a point of historical reference, that temple and all the detail that God put into prescribing everything tells us what kind of God we have and what kind of God we serve today. And he knew it wasn't the forever temple. As we know, when Jesus died, the veil of the old temple, which at that point was a rebuilt temple, but 
the veil of the temple was torn in two, signifying that that was the end of that pattern. And it was opening the Holy of Holies for all to be able to come before God, before his throne of grace, which is what the Holy of Holies really represented, coming in the presence of God before his throne of grace. That structure was simply pointing forward because God knew one day we'd be here at Straight Gate Church and millions of believers around the globe reading about that temple. And he had a message for us in that. Always pointing forward to what God had foreordained to accomplish through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what all the law was about. That's what the temple was about. It was pointing to Jesus Christ and to that day that we live in now. My prayer is that we who have the history of both the Old Testament and the New Testament tonight after our communion service will go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those dwelling in darkness so that they too can become living temples illumined by the Holy Spirit.